British Caledonia A better way to fly Who are you? What are you thinking? Where do you come from? Where are you going to? Who are you? Do I know you? You're so lovely. Will I see you again? Singapore girl. Welcome to Lakers. Consider yourself at home. Our mate. We don't mean to make no. But after some consideration, we can stay. Consider yourself one of us. I'm Freddie Laker, and flying with me is fun. And the fun begins with my low prices. There's a new day, Johnny. Pacific for the new world of international travelers, LA to Hong Kong non-stop. The journey is yours. The adventure is yours. seats, short seats, reclining seats, how much booze they're going to give me, what food I'm getting. When I fly, three things I want to know. Will the plane take off? <laughs> when, it, when it's up in the air, will it stay in the air? And when it comes down, is it coming down where they said it would come down? That's all I want to know. Welcome to Podcast 42, the podcast that talks about life, the universe, and everything. Well, after last episode's Florida shit show, I thought I'd keep things back to Earth this time. Well, not quite on Earth, but at least within the atmosphere of our home planet. As you might have guessed from those opening montage, we're going to talk about airlines, airports, and all things to do with travelling by air. But first, don't forget to subscribe to the podcast and also the YouTube channel, Criskit. I'm constantly adding content there, and if you have any musical requests, other than stop singing, then let me know. But thanks for listening so far, and your feedback is always appreciated. Any requests or show ideas to podcast42 at gmail.com. All one word, all letters, podcast42. So on with the show. At this time, we are going mile high in more ways than one, through the air and also to the Mile High City. More on that later. Now, over the last few years, I've clocked up my fair share of air miles. I'm even sad enough to have kept a spreadsheet documenting this. Most of you who know me will find that piece of information hardly surprising, I'm sure. 
I thought I'd discuss the airlines I've travelled with and was going to keep this down to a top 5, but once I got thinking about it, there was merits and pitfalls with many of the carriers I've used. So with that in mind, I thought why not just ramble on about all of them? There's plenty of them, some good, some bad. But I'm only sticking to airlines I've actually used. There are quite a few. So let's get flying. Okay, now we're airborne. Let's start with some of the more glamorous and high-end carriers. A modern airline established as recently as 1993. It rose to be named the world's best airline in the 2019 Skytrax World Airline Awards for the fifth time. A world first for any airline and also awarded with the world's best business class and the best business class seat. Who am I talking about? It's Qatar Airways. I spent just short of four years in Qatar in the early noughties and flying with them was always a pleasure. The Qatar Airways network spans business and leisure destinations across Europe, the Middle East, Africa, Asia Pacific, North America and South America and Doha now has a shiny, well relatively new airport that serves as the home port to its ever increasing fleet. I remember the old days of the Doha International Airport though and it really wasn't quite the luxurious airport that now exists. I actually recall my first trip out of Doha back in 2008 and it really wasn't very pleasant to start with, although this was quickly rectified. I've always enjoyed travelling the most when feeling refreshed and ready for the long journey ahead. I generally do long-haul flights most of the time and would consider anything less than 7 hours a minor hop. I often carry a change of clothes and get a shower in the airport or at least find somewhere to clean up and brush my teeth. More about travel tips later though. I did so at Doha on my first trip and after getting through the check-in and security headed to the nearest restroom to wash and to change. Huge mistake. But after all, this was my first time in the Middle East. The luxuries of Dubai, the new Doha and Muscat airports is a far cry from what used to be found at the old Doha airport. The restroom looked like there had been some kind of dirty protest going on for some time and what sinks were available were generally being used to wash feet. I exited stage left and tried to find alternative means of preparing for the flight. But I didn't have to go far because I spotted the business lounge, an oasis amongst the detritus of the main area I did not however have a business ticket, or sufficient level of reward or air miles to get myself in. What to do? Well back then it was pretty straightforward. 
look confident, smile and walk straight in. This worked for three years. A shower, fresh clothing and a beer, or four, and I was good to go. I did actually read that the old Doha airport is planned for reinstatement in order to accommodate the visitors for the 2022 FIFA World Cup. Mothballed since 2014, the airport was slated to be demolished to make way for an urban project, but at an event in Qatar, CEO of Qatar Airways Akbar Al-Bakr told journalists he planned to bring it back into use to add 10 million passengers more capacity to the city over the course of the big event. Hopefully the planned refurbishment brings it bang up to date, and I'm sure they will. But what about the flights? Qatar Airways are always certainly up there with the best for comfort and entertainment aboard during the flight. The staff were always friendly, very attentive, the food was always excellent. The seat, spacious and comfortable. The amenities, outstanding. Actually, clean toilets on an airline. Everything worked as well. Always a good airline to travel with. And still to this day they are. It's been a couple of years since I've travelled with them, but they still get glowing reports. In fact, many of the Middle Eastern airlines, which I will talk about more, have this very high standard. Okay, let's move on to another airline. That was a quick one about Qatar, but we've got lots to get through. of uh, if by chance if by chance the pressurization of the cabin drops oxygen will be provided <laughs> that's bloody nice of them isn't it <laughs> they've got you up to 35,000 feet they're about to asphyxiate you no we'll give you some oxygen <laughs> all that oxygen will be provided. If an oxygen mask drops down in front of you, please place it over your nose and mouth and breathe. <laughs> Where else, for Christ's sake? That's the only part of your body you can breathe through. You're not going to stick it on your arse. Or... <laughs> and breathe normally. Normally. Can you just see yourself? 35,000 feet and these things drop out of the roof like used contraceptives then you're going to go oh look at that oh that's interesting the pressurization of the cabin must have dropped they're providing us good oxygen oh wow very interesting is it yes crap let me tell you, if you're sitting there at 35,000 feet and those things drop down in front of you, the first thing that happens is your anal nerve goes. <laughs> and on a jumbo jet, that is 500 anal nerves. So the quicker the thing you get that thing over your nose, the And in case you are wondering, that is the one and only Mr. Dave Allen. More from Dave as this goes on. He's got a lot to say about aircraft. <laughs> I like it. It's very funny. Okay, well, what are we up to now? We've had Qatar Airways. Now to one of my favourite airlines, Singapore Airlines. Singapore Airlines is one of the most respected travel brands around the world, flying one of the youngest aircraft fleets in the world to destinations spanning a network spread over six continents. The Singapore Girl is an internationally recognisable icon providing the high standards of care and service that customers have come to expect of Singapore Airlines. You may have heard the song earlier, Singapore Girl. But Changi Airport in Singapore 
frequently tops the list of one of travellers' favourite airports around the world. Maybe it's because there are so many airport activities there that leaves you thinking, what can't I do here? Home to four terminals, dozens of attractions, and more than a million trees and plants in their Instagrammable gardens, there are so many features that make the airport unique, one of which is even breaking records. The largest hedge maze in all of Singapore will be built inside Changi Airport. Wedge your way through this massive maze and at the end you will land at an elevated bird's eye view of the landscape. But don't get lost in there too long, because you don't want to miss your flight. I recall when I was in Australia working. After a long day at work, we were due to fly Darwin to Singapore and then on to London. So we flew the Darwin to Singapore leg, 4 hours 20 minutes. Got there late evening and I knew what was ahead was an economy class nightmare to London. So what to do? Just get on the pub crawl around Changi Airport in Singapore. I actually met a friend in one of the bars there too. Unbelievable. Let me talk you through the bars. In Terminal 2 and also in Terminal 3, there's Harry's of Changi which is yet another version of the Singapore institution that seems to have been sanitised over the years and franchised. The original Harry's was opened in 1992 on Boat Quay and another outlet located at the infamous Orchard Towers Entertainment Complex on Orchard Road, commonly known as The Four Floors. More about that another time, I think. But before I talk about the rest of the bars, Changi really is one of the most breathtaking airports in the world winning world's best airport 10 times. It takes a step away from the airport and turns it into an indoor luxury amusement park. There are several cinemas that operate 24 hours a day, playing the biggest blockbusters for free for travellers. Although my favourite airport cinema is definitely the IMAX in Hong Kong International Airport. The gardens there flow with colourful flowers and there is even a beautiful garden, koi pond, a rooftop pool in Terminal 1 and of course a pool bar. Of course, an airport pool bar, why not? So as I said, if you're up for a drink located in the Cactus Garden at Terminal 1, Hops Bar is just the right place to kick back and relax while waiting for your flight. There's casual seating in an alfresco setting, or the air conditioning indoors when you can find the dart machine, or watch a game of football. At Hops Bar you will certainly enjoy a full range of alcohol, including Heineken and Guinness on draft. So as the tagline says, hop by and start chilling away at Hops Bar. Whoever wrote that needs a new job. There's also a brand new shopping centre that just opened across the road. Changi has three transit hotels with rooms that allow rental for six hour increments for the shorter stopovers, including the Aerotel Airport Transit Hotel in Terminal 1. Changi Airport though does provide dedicated sleep and relaxation lounges throughout, very important to the weary traveller. But back to the bars. O'Leary's Sports Bar and Grill is available in all the terminals, but the one in Terminal 2 is the biggest and has the most welcoming atmosphere. Plus, it's only a stumble away from Harry's. O'Leary's is a Bostonian neighbourhood bar with a combination of sports and American food. Food is generally average and overpriced, but it is worth popping in for the beer stop. As I said, it is a pub crawl around the airport. They usually have Guinness on tap as well as the Heineken, but also Tiger too. Tiger always a favourite of mine when in Southeast Asia. And there's also a signature Tiger bar at Changi Airport. There's a small Jack Daniels bar in Terminal 2, but this is more like a shop and whiskey tasting room. Always good to get a dram or two to help you on your way though. Terminal 3 has a Carlsberg bar. Now Carlsberg is not a beer of choice for me in Europe, but always seems to be surprisingly better in Southeast Asia. No idea why. Also in Terminal 3 is the Long Bar. Based on the other Singapore institution that is Raffles and the home of the Singapore sling, the Long Bar. If you're ever in Singapore, well worth a visit. There's also an honourable mention to the Hard Rock Cafe Singapore Airport. Now I'm a fan of the Hard Rock Cafes around the world and I have visited them in many locations. Sadly, the one in Changi is no longer there and definitely a loss to the thirsty traveller. The new one in Dubai isn't a bad option though if you're ever going through that way. So anyway, back to my trip. And after all that, if you can remember, we're on a trip from Australia back to the UK via Singapore. 
feeling tired and emotional after the Changi pub crawl, I wasn't looking forward to the flight, economy, all the way to London, for what would be 13 or 14 hours. We get to the gate. Then you hear the magical beep of your boarding pass failing to scan on entry to the plane. In my world, that only meant one thing. Upgrade. Anyone who knows me will tell you I'm definitely in favour with the airline gods, as I'm a frequent upgrader. I don't know how it happens, it just does. I must just look the right kind of person for business class. Or the right kind of drunk, I don't know. So we get into business class, there's only one thing for it. Get the pyjamas on, a few champagnes, some tasty food, and a very pleasant sleep for most of the flight, thus arriving in tip-top, tippity-top condition in the UK after traversing across the globe. Singapore business class, you cannot beat it. Almost a full bed to stretch out on. Fantastic food. A nice drop of champagne too. Always a fan. Highly recommended. Just get that upgrade. Better still travel with me and you'll probably get one. Okay, let's move on to somewhere else. We'll stay in the Orient though. Let's go for JAL. Who is JAL, you say? Japanese Airlines. like emergency landing. Have you come across that? <laughs> emergency landing? <coughs> emergency landing? It's clever wording. It's an emergency, but it's a landing. <laughs> They've got you down. We're pros. It's an emergency. We've seen you through. We've got you down. You don't have to worry about things like that. <laughs> emergency. Somebody says emergency to me. Crash! <laughs> Emergency landing. Hit, thump, wallop, bang, bump into. We're about to make an emergency landing on the side of this mountain. <laughs> Lovely things like make sure your safety belt is fastened. Thank you, Dave Allen, again. But back to Japanese airlines. When I lived in Japan, I flew a few times out of both Narita and Haneda airports. While these may not be as glamorous and high-end as the likes of Singapore and their Middle Eastern counterparts, they are incredibly functional airports. Everything works and works well. Even the McDonald's you get served there actually looks like the picture on the menu. And no, I didn't go there before you ask. But I did pick up somebody at the airport, and she knows who she is, who was hungry immediately upon landing. So I took her to McDonald's. She was very happy. Okay, Japanese Airline Company Limited, JAL, Nihon Koku Kobushiki Gaisha also known as Nikko locally. It's an international airline and Japan's flag carrier. Headquarters in Shinagawa, Tokyo. Its main hubs are Tokyo's Narita International Airport and Haneda Airport, as well as Osaka's Kansai International Airport and Itami Airports, all located on the largest of the Japanese islands, Honshu. JAL, I'll call them that for now, it's much easier. The JAL group companies include Japan Airlines, J-Air, Japan Air Commuter, Japan Transocean Air, and Ryukyu Air Commuter for domestic feeder services, and JAL Cargo for cargo and mail services. The JAL Group operations include scheduled and unscheduled international and domestic passenger and cargo services to 220 destinations in 35 countries worldwide, including code shares. The group has a fleet of 279 aircraft, and in recent years, carries on average about 52 million passengers and over 1.1 million tonnes of cargo and mail. Japan Airlines, J-Air, JAL Express and Japan Transocean Air are members of the One World Airline Alliance Network, 
Always keep an eye on those things for your air miles, very important. And if you like your air miles, once you choose an airline, stick with it, it pays big benefits, especially on the upgrade front. Okay, back to JAL. JAL was established in 1951 and became the National Airline of Japan in 1953. After over three decades of service and expansion, the airline was fully privatised in 1987. In 2002, the airline merged with Japan Air System, Japan's third largest airline, and became the sixth largest airline in the world by passengers carried. Japan Airlines is currently an official sponsor of Japan Football Association, Japan National Football Team, Shimizu S-Pulse, a team I've actually seen play, and Consadole Sapporo. All Nippon Airways, the largest airline in Japan, is JAL's main competitor. So let's talk about them too in a second, but JAL sums up how I feel about my time in Japan. Great quality, great service, every time. Excellent food too for an airplane choice. Excellent personnel at the airport, excellent flight attendants, pleasant and polite, which is far from some carriers which I could mention. The JAL pilot also greeted us politely too. In summary, this airline may not have the frills of the Middle Eastern counterparts, but definitely deserves to be rated among them because everything is excellent. I use that word so much with Japan, but everything is high standard, high quality. They also had a decent selection of entertainment from around the world, including some Japanese movies, which I occasionally ended up watching with English subtitles. I've quite often done that on long haul aircraft when it's from a different country. Try some of the foreign movies. You'll find some good things there. Okay, I said I'll talk about ANA, All Nippon Airways. If the best airline in Japan is JAL, second is ANA. All Nippon Airways is the largest airline in Japan though, Founded in 1952, ANA flies to around 80 international routes and over 110 domestic routes. Now, ANA is a member of the Star Alliance since 1999. Its frequent flyer program, ANA Mileage Club, has more than 29 million members, and ANA was the launch customer and is the biggest operator of the Boeing 787, the Dreamliner. I'll talk about the aircraft later, I think. Although JAL staff, the pilots, the co-pilots, the flight attendants, apparently like to move to ANA, as they say ANA has the better benefits for crews. However, from the user side, JAL has way better service for me. Such an example for ANA is that the ground attendants can be swapped with a robot and nobody could tell the difference. And everything is completed by the manual. If a customer is complaining, they just consistently go by the manual. JAL, on the other hand, have well-trained crew and they know how to look after the passengers and of course, they always have a smile. So me out of the two, it's very close, but JAL is the number one in Japan for me. Okay, talking of Tokyo, I'm going to have a quick mention of Delta Airlines here. Now, I was on a Delta flight, which is a fairly basic standard US carrier flight, but I was going from Tokyo to Manila. To be honest, the US carriers tend to be very basic, but I'll talk about more of them later. But on this particular flight, I joined a flight from the US that had landed in Tokyo before heading onwards towards Manila. It was the Delta Airlines. And as I said, I like to scour the entertainment system for something a bit more unusual. Japanese movies are a good example, and so are some of the Bollywood selections. Give them a try, you might just enjoy them. Watching a Bollywood movie with a couple of beers at 38,000 feet is often good fun. But I talk about this particular flight, because this is how things work in my world it seems. Everything seems to be interlinked. I found a documentary about beer and bars in the United States. It was the Brewdog Show, if I recall correctly. And this particular episode was in various bars in the Mile High City, Denver. I mentioned this at the opening of the episode, and one particular bar was the Falling Rock Tap House, along with a few other places in Denver. This looked great. Now fast forward about three weeks, and I just happened to be in Denver, Colorado. What do I do? Let's give the bars a try. Now with the tagline, no crap on tap, the Falling Rock Tap House is a must visit place for beer lovers from anywhere. How did we get from airlines to beer? Exactly. Tenuous links, you can't beat them. The Falling Rock Tap House on Blake Street is a bar with a wide variety of beer on tap. 
serving great food like burgers, tacos, sandwiches, and it's just a short distance away from Coors Field in downtown Denver, the baseball stadium. It features bar seating, booths, couches, tables, and a large outdoor patio. In the lower level, there is darts and a pool table. There's Philly cheese, steaks, French dip sandwiches, wings, burgers. But as I said, it's the crazy selection of beers on tap, and you're bound to find something you like at the Falling Rock Tap House. Many people ask about the 2,200 plus beer bottles lining the walls in the bar. No, these are not the beers we offer. They are Chris's, not me, the owner, his collection, and yes, he drank about 90% of those beers. When we visited, we chose to prop up the bar and sample some of the spectacular brews on offer. There are many local beers on offer there, among the hundreds of others. I managed to try a few of these, and let's, let's talk about a couple of the beers, shall we? We've ended up on beer yet again. Fantastic. Now locally brewed in Denver, the 4.8% epic Los Locos Lager, this was an easy sipping beer, with just a hint of malt sweetness, a dash of sea salt, and a refreshing splash of lime. The perfect summer afternoon in a glass. Another one I tried was the Wibby We Can Do These Things. Fresh Hop Fest beer. Easy for you to say. Coming in at a heftier 6.5% and is the current style of beer served during Oktoberfest. This fresh hop version has 264s of Chinook, Crystal and Cascade hops added as soon as they were picked from the vine. While moderately malty and slightly bitter, this beer is still way too easy to drink especially at 6.5%. This delightful beer is brewed in Longmont, Colorado, on the St. Vrain River, between the South Plate River and the foothills of the Rocky Mountains. At an elevation of 5,000 feet and 30 miles northwest of Denver, that's 1,524 meters up and 48 kilometers away for those of you still in the European Union. The next beer, the Crooked Stave Petite Sour Raspberry, primarily fermented with a mixed culture of wild yeast. Each batch of Petite Sour undergoes a secondary fermentation in large oak fodders. A fodder, pronounced fodder, a fooder I think it might have been. Anyway, it's a Dutch word for a large oak tank where beer is fermented. The French call it a fodder, but they would. But it's the same thing. A vertical or horizontal oak barrel at least three times and sometimes 300 times the size of an oak barrel with a generous amount of whole fruit, in this version, raspberries. This is coming in at 4.5% and also from Denver, Colorado. Actually only a few miles away from the Falling Rock Tap Room. And it's from the Crooked Stave Friends and Family Tap Room, an artisan beer project and also another place worth a visit. The next beer, the Station 26 Tangerine Cream, a 5.2% light cream ale with tangerine and vanilla bean. Citrusy and sweet and perfect again for the summer. Gluten reduced, in case you're that way inclined, but also brewed in Denver by the Station 26 Brewing Company over on East 38th Avenue, close to the Central Park. Station 26 also have the 7.4% aptly named Juicy Banger, brewed with Citra, Mosaic, Centennial and Apollo hops. It has a huge hop presence though. Dank with notes of apricot, papaya, citrus and a touch of pine. A great example of a classic West Coast IPA meets hop burst styles. Next on the list was the Scar Brewing Company's The Hazy IPA. Yes, another IPA, but it was very good. This full-bodied, luscious IPA is rich with citrus and tropical notes, obtained through a variety of proprietary hopping techniques. The Hazy IPA is brewed with Citra, Idaho 7, Eldorado, Galaxy and Bravo hops. At 6.5% and brewed in Durango, Colorado. Durango, great name, but also a good music reference. Scar Brewing Company is a brewery founded in 1995 by Bill Grimm and Dave Thibodeau in Durango, Colorado, USA. Since 2008, the brewery has located in its current Bordeaux Industrial Park location and its beer names and brandings revolve around Scar and Rude Boy culture, offerings such as the Modus Hopperandi, 
the Scar Decadent Imperial, the Scar Autumnal Mole Stout, the Scar Mexican Logger, Scar Modus Mandarina, Scar True Blonde, the Scar Buster Nut Brown, I like that name, and the Scar Hibernal Vinifera Stout. Fantastic names. Although the Scar Decadent Imperial IPA is a double IPA coming in at 10%. <gasps> Stand well back. Durango is a small city in southwestern Colorado, near to the New Mexico border, the one-time gold mining town. Without the mining boom of the 1800s, Durango just wouldn't be what it is today. In its heyday, the Durango train carried more than $300 million worth of precious metals. The Durango train today carries thousands of passengers year after year on an open-air journey through the mountains, above dramatic canyons and through tight-fitting mountain walls. It was once the only efficient way to get from Silverton and back, and now it's considered the best way to... Oh, hang on, let's get back on track. All puns intended. Oh, we were going down a line I couldn't follow there. Back to the beer. There's the Comrade Superpower IPA, the flagship Indian Pale Ale with loads of Pacific Northwest hops. Huge pine and grapefruit hop aroma with flavours of citrus. Balanced bitterness with a light malt character. It pours a brilliant gold with a dense white head. Fear the power, the Comrade Superpower IPA at 7.3%, also brewed in Denver, Colorado. We've got a couple of more beers I'll mention from the Falling Rock. The Avery White Rascal, an authentic Belgian-style white ale. This rascal is unfiltered and cleverly spiced with coriander and curacao orange peel, producing a refreshingly zesty classic ale. Coming in at 5.6% and from Boulder, Colorado. I love Colorado names. There's the Horse and Dragon Sad Panda Coffee Stout. I remember trying this, it was delicious. With a balanced sweetness of vanilla and dark chocolate flavours and a smooth coffee bitterness at the finish, this drinkable stout hits all the sensory pleasure notes. But it comes in at 7.6% from Fort Collins in Colorado. Also an extra mention to the Redstone Meadery, home of the mountain honey wine, the Blood Orange Nectar Mead. Oh, I do love a good mead. It's the same base recipe as most nectars with the addition of Blood Orange for a crisp citrus finish. Very tasty, but coming in at 8%, also from Boulder, Colorado. There are other offerings from farther afield in the bar. The fantastically named Russian River Pliny the Elder. Not a local brew, but well-balanced double IPA with malt hops, Amarillo, Centennial, CTZ, Columbus, Tomahawk, and Zeus. Great names for hops. It's slightly bitter with a fresh hop aroma of floral, citrus, and pine, a mind-warping 8%. And this one's from Santa Rosa in California. The equally astoundingly named Ecliptic Starburst IPA. Brewed with Amarillo, Azaka, Centennial Citra Mosaic and Simcoe hops for fresh flavours of citrus, fruit and pine. 100% pale malt makes for a super clean finish and puts the focus on the hop flavours and aromas. This is from Portland in Oregon, but another hefty one, weighing in at 7.8%. Let's talk about a couple more. There's the Bell's Two-Hearted IPA, brewed with 100% Centennial hops from the Pacific Northwest and named after the Two-Hearted River in Michigan's Upper Peninsula. This IPA is bursting with hop aromas ranging from pine to grapefruit from massive hop additions in both the kettle and the fermenter. 7% and from Kalamazoo, Michigan. I always wanted to say Kalamazoo on at least one episode. Maybe I should devote an entire episode to Kalamazoo. In fact, that's an idea I've been toying with, picking random towns and just talking about them. Kalamazoo. <laughs> I digress once again. Let's have one more beer. There's the Dogfish Head 60 Minute IPA. Another flagship beer, a delicious Session Indian Pale Ale, brewed with Warrior, Amarillo and Mystery Hop X. A powerful East Coast IPA with a lot of citrusy hop character, the Session beer for a beer geek like me. 6%, that's not too bad, and it's from Milton in Delaware. However, back to the story. In the Falling Rock Tap Room, 
we ended up making friends with the guy next to us who turned out to be the server's partner. She was about to finish work and join us. Then they took us on an amazing tour of the local hostelries and ales. Fantastic! And what's this got to do with airlines? Well all of this happened. I met new friends, which I'm still friends with today I might add. I travelled to a different country, went to a town I'd never visited before and went to a random bar that I saw on an entertainment system on an American plane from Tokyo to Manila in the Philippines. You just never know what's going to happen, so always give these things a try. Anyway, back to the flights. Planes, not beers. Although, I do love a good flight of beer. Ooh, maybe I should talk about the one I had in New Zealand when we get to that section. Mmm, beer flights. Let's move on, where should we go next? See yourself going through all this? The plane is coming in? Your table is stowed? Seat is in an upright position? Make sure that all the crockery and glass things you give to the hostess. Hostess, excuse me. We're coming into the side of a mountain. Will you take my glass away from me, please? Take your teeth out! They don't say take your false teeth out, they say take your teeth out! People sit there with spoons going... Place a pillow on your lap and place your head on the lap. You see that? Sitting there coming into the side of a mountain with your head on your lap? That's so you can kiss your ass goodbye. Okay, let's keep going. And another Oriental carrier, Cathay Pacific Airways. The Hong Kong-based Cathay Pacific Group offers scheduled passenger and cargo services to over 200 destinations in Asia, North America, Australia, Europe, and of course Africa. Using a fleet of close to 200 aircraft, Cathay Pacific is a founder member of the One World Global Alliance, and Cathay Dragon is also an affiliate member. I used to like Cathay as I was usually travelling business with them from Manila to Hong Kong with work when I was working in China. We will definitely come to the Chinese airline soon. The only problem was the flight was less than two hours and no real time to enjoy the amenities of business class. For me, if a flight is comfortable and I am entertained, which isn't too difficult, then it could be 20 hours long. I wouldn't mind. Go around twice. I'm pretty happy sat here. Two hours is just not enough to enjoy a flight. I'm sure many of you disagree with me, especially those of you who don't like flying, Mr. Teddy, Ted, Ted Teddington of Teddyville. Anyway, the aging 747s operated by Cathay were always well turned out and always great service too. As I mentioned earlier, Hong Kong International Airport has a great IMAX cinema, but it's also one of my favourite stops in the world for bargain duty free. Hong Kong always seems to have the best deals, particularly when I'm hunting for a few good bottles of whiskey. That, plus the lax rules of how much liquor I can bring into the Philippines, is always a recipe for an empty wallet and clinking through the airport with all the purchases I can carry. It's always nice when they give you free carry-on luggage to convey said purchases during your onward journey. Because you've spent so much in duty-free, you get free luggage to carry it. Watch out for those offers though for sure. Remember, the more you drink, the more you save. 
and that's where Hong Kong International Airport is a real winner. Okay, we're going to move a bit more swiftly now. I've noticed the time and we seem to be dragging this one out a bit and I'm not even halfway, trust me. Oh, don't, no, 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 don't turn off. Do not turn off just yet. We've got a good one to come next. Let's get back to the Middle East. Definitely my favourite airline at the moment because I use them so much. Well, especially over the last few years. Let's talk about Emirates. But first, a bit more Dave Allen, I think. Do you know that an aeroplane after 18 hours flying, is just filled with vomit, defecation, and farts. <laughs> that's all it is. It hits the side of a mountain. That's why nobody will go near it for days. Still funny, but just a little short clip that time. Okay, Emirates, founded in 1985, so relatively new to this flying game, and back then, flying out of Dubai with just two aircraft. Emirates now has a fleet of more than 230 aircraft and currently flies to over 140 destinations in more than 80 countries around the world. The Emirates network is expanding constantly with over 1,500 flights departing from Dubai each week and on their way to destinations on six continents. Okay, quick guide. Dubai International Airport, DXB. Terminal 1, all international airlines except Emirates, Qantas and Fly Dubai. Dubai International Terminal 2, Fly Dubai, and other regional and international airlines. More on that terminal shortly. Terminal 3, Fly Dubai, and all Emirates and Qantas flights. There you go, a quick guide to... No, there's more than that to Dubai. Okay, Dubai Airport. There's the other side of luxurious. Dubai Airport with Terminal 2 that has flights to various regional countries and the Indian subcontinent. This deserves a special mention, as I said earlier. I'll come to the good side of Dubai shortly, I promise. T2, Terminal 2, is the home of Dubai's low-cost carrier, Fly Dubai, which, like Emirates, is owned by the Dubai government. But if you fly by Fly Dubai to Terminal 2, if you were expecting some of the gloss of Dubai's airport's main terminal, Terminal 3, home to Emirates and Qantas, to have rubbed off on Terminal 2, you'll be sadly disappointed. There are short to medium haul runs to the hometown of Dubai's immigrant worker population, and these are the budget airline's bread and butter, so there's zero glitz. Security, no smiles. This is a no mucking about terminal, used to processing great gangs of workers. Everyone rips off their belts, shoes and watches with speed and efficiency. The pace is impressive and refreshing, to be honest. But as for food and drink in T2, eating is a soul-destroying chore here. Choose between KFC, McDonald's or Subway for warmish food. The brightest spot is the Costa Coffee chain, which also sells sandwiches. The ambience is heightened by the grinding noise of concrete cutters emanating from behind hoardings that promise a new dosser and dal hut. There are a few basic duty-free shops that sell the usual international alcohol brands, overpriced designer sunglasses and Toblerone multipacks. Amid all this I discover a perfume stand selling Amouage, a brand founded in nearby Oman, where I am at the moment, and once the most expensive perfume in the world, which is strangely situated in Terminal 2. There's also a little pharmacy, you bypass the mandatory raffle to win a new car, there's fast free Wi-Fi though, that's one thing that this terminal shares with its glossier counterpart, and there are charging stations as well. You can also pay for a priority pass to enter the Mahaba Lounge. It's a shame to have a lounge like this in such a progressive city. It's dirty, small, food is pretty poor quality. Honestly, I'd prefer to spend time in duty free than here. I've had to fly into Terminal 2 a few times. Terminal 2 is also about 18 minutes drive around the airport precinct from Dubai's main hub, Terminal 3. There's a free shuttle bus that runs between the two, but the journey can take about 40 minutes. 
it's actually sometimes better and faster to take a taxi or book a ride through Uber or Kareem if you can access Dubai. And once a flight boards in Terminal 2, it also seems the norm to just leave any garbage or uneaten food on the floor. This is not a terminal to linger in at all. I've had lots of experience of this place. Okay, let's go to the glossy side. Terminal 3. It's appealing and maybe overwhelming to the first time traveller, but until the recent restrictions, I was starting to grow quite weary of travelling through there. Just too many people in the lounges. Top tip, go to the smoking lounge. I'm not a smoker, but it's quieter. It has great ventilation, even for a non-smoker like me, and it's much easier to get into. There also seem to be too many people in Terminal 3 getting overwhelmed by the sheer size of the place and shopping mall feel. It is a behemoth of an airport terminal. Although Dubai Airport is a tidal airport, for want of a better word, if you arrive there between 7pm and 4am, it tends to be even busier than during the day, because DXB, sorry Dubai, is a major world hub, and they tend to be influenced by the time zone of the destination passengers. I've been there in the afternoon, had a very pleasant stroll around the terminal, relatively empty, and it's much better, nobody in your way. Also, one of my favourite pit stops, if I'm connecting in Dubai, I usually have a 4 hour or a 7 hour layover sometimes. Head to the timeless spa for a massage, a haircut and a shave. When you're on your way to civilization after a long stint at the desert lair, it's a must do. If you have even longer, then the Airside Hotel is also highly recommended. I've stayed there a couple of times, you can book a room for 6 hours and it just helps you to refresh. You come out feeling shiny and new, especially after the spa. You also then have enough time for a bit of duty free hunting, as per usual. The Leclos shops are well worth a look for that special bottle of wine or whiskey. They even offer a bottle engraving service, if that floats your boat. But Leclos is a duty-free wine and luxury spirits retailer in the UAE. They are also offering customers the convenience of click and collect from the stores on arrival, which can be useful. So you can actually look online and just pick it up when you get there. There are also the other specialist liquor stores and even a Macallan shop. Although a little overrated in my book. Sorry everybody who likes Macallan, but I have seen a few of the rarer bottles in these shops with some amazing price tags. There was a $24,000 bottle of Ardbeg 73, which was particularly tempting, but I chose not to buy it. <laughs> there really is duty-free overload in Dubai Airport though, that's for sure, but the lounges are okay if they're quiet and you can get good food, drinks and a shower too. And a top tip when you're travelling, if you can get a shower and a change of clothes, then do it. As I've said before, it makes a huge difference to your mental and physical well-being when on long journeys. More tips to come later, but that is one of my favourites. If you can get to freshen up, just go and do it. Now T3, Terminal 3, has been going through various phases of renovation, and the addition of the Hard Rock Cafe, which I mentioned earlier, is definitely a positive in my view. The usual beers and food with good music and some good service in there. It's quite a fun place to have a beer. If the lounges are overloaded, sometimes I'd rather pay for a beer and food in a more conducive setting. There's also a small boots shop in T3 near to the Hard Rock Cafe, and it's always handy for stocking up on the basic toiletries that I could get in the UK. It's the little things you miss sometimes. There are many bars dotted around the terminal with Magettigans, the standout of them, although last time I was through Dubai, it was closed for renovation. At the moment, T3 has a lot of renovations ongoing. I was there a couple of weeks ago, barely recognised the place. But along with Singapore Airlines, Emirates is definitely my carrier of choice. Some excellent upgrades over the years, although my gold membership probably helps that along a bit. Onboard is always great service, food, drinks and entertainment. Seating is comfortable and particularly on the A380, the aircraft I will talk about in length very soon. Although many of the 777s have also had recent refits and a very good value for it. I like the lighting on these flights, particularly the night sky simulated in the ceiling of the cabin with stars twinkling. Yes, really, there are stars twinkling. 
and the business class bar on the Air 380 really is the star of the show, especially when you're on a 15-hour flight to JFK. Yes, there was a bar on my flight. From Dubai to New York, a 15-hour flight. Fantastic. They even let me surf behind the bar for a little while, which was quite entertaining. Anyway, more about that story later, I'm sure. What next? Let's head down under. The Flying Kangaroo. That was a genuine ad for Qantas Airways from 1980s. Okay, Qantas Airways, founded in 1920. Qantas is the flag carrier of Australia and a founding member of the One World Airline Alliance. Qantas is now Australia's largest domestic and international airline. But do you actually know what Qantas means? What does it stand for? It's the Queensland and Northern Territory Aerial Services. There you go. Good one for the pub quizzes, that one. Now let's cut to the chase with Qantas. While living in Darwin in the Northern Territory of Australia, I travelled across the world to Dallas, Texas. Flight time on one of the legs from Sydney to Dallas-Fort Worth was just under 16 hours going and 17 hours coming back. At the time, this was the longest passenger flight in the world. Singapore Airlines direct flight from Singapore to Newark, New Jersey is currently the longest flight in the world and that lasts around 18 hours and 30 minutes and travelling 9,534 miles. For those of you living in the European Union still, that's a long way. Now this is quite a journey. Because remember, we weren't flying just from Sydney. We took the red eye from Darwin to Sydney at quarter to one in the morning, arriving at 6.35 in the morning. But here's another top tip. When your flight doesn't leave until 25 to 2 in the afternoon to Dallas-Fort Worth, make sure you have a hotel waiting for you. We saw some passengers who chose not to get a hotel and went straight to the terminal with their children. That was a bad move. They did not look very happy when we turned up to the airport. All spick-span, tippity-top and fresh and ready to go for our 16-hour flight. So we're on the flight to Dallas-Fort Worth. We were lucky enough to get in premium economy. Normally premium economy is okay, a little bit of extra legroom. But on the Qantas A380, it was better than some business class I've actually travelled in. Because we got the hotel, this was the perfect flight to get on with a good night's sleep, or sorry, a good day's sleep in this case, we were refreshed and ready to go. But as soon as we took off, on came the mandatory pyjamas, loungewear is a must on these long flights, and we settled in for the 16 hour flight. This was easy. These kind of flights are made much easier when you're refreshed and ready to go. As I keep saying, flights can be fun too. Yes, sad I know. But I always prepare with entertainment and look forward to a few drinks and even the food on a flight. This particular flight was over in no time at all. 
and I'd have happily stayed in the air for a few more hours. Such was the comfort and the entertainment on board. The company was good too, which always helps. Another advantage of flying Qantas internally is that the Qantas lounge in various Aussie airports are full of FIFO workers. That means fly-in, fly-out workers. There's many of these in Australia. They'll fly four hours to work in remote locations from their hometowns. But this actually helps maintain a good standard, as they're all usually good consumers of everything on offer. After being away for so long in often, as I said, remote and diverse locations, they're always ready for a luxury or two, or even just a cold beer. So the loungers always look after people in Australia. It's very good. As you may have guessed by now, the Airbus A380 is by far my favourite aircraft to fly on, for sure. It's a double-decked, gargantuan among aircraft. I recall hitting a particular turbulent and stormy area on the flight from Sydney to Dallas-Fort Worth, and this was one occasion I was glad to be in such a behemoth of a plane. Oh, use that word twice today. That's very good. The A380 handled it admirably, and after landing, when I saw the huge storm we'd circumnavigated, I was amazed how little impact this had had on us. I do eulogise about this aircraft, but it really is a feat of engineering. The Boeing 787 Dreamliner is a smaller aircraft, but that also offers exceptional comfort. And like the A380, I always feel more refreshed after long flights using these aircraft, rather than the older 777s, 747s and the A330s. Although the new Airbus A350, the smaller cousin of the A380, is also a good option for long haul, and was designed in response to Boeing's 787 Dreamliner. Very similar sizes. I know that Philippines Airlines has utilised this aircraft for the Manila to JFK, New York flights. But more about that in a bit. One reason for the reduced effects of long-haul travel is that the A350's cabin is also the quietest on a twin-aisle aircraft, and its advanced technology delivers the highest possible air quality with optimised cabin pressure at 6,000 feet. Again, quite high for those of you in the European Union. The temperature and humidity is optimised, with the air being renewed every two to three minutes. The Dreamliner 787 also has improved air quality due to an innovative purification method known as gaseous filtration. Research has shown that contaminants cause many of the symptoms that often are associated with low humidity. Air purification removes those gaseous contaminants and reduces symptoms such as throat irritation. The amount of flights in the old days I've had where you come with a sore throat or a snotty nose or even just a headache, these aircraft really help with that. Now let's get back to the A380. It has a maximum takeoff weight of almost 1.3 million pounds. Again, if you're in the EU, that's quite heavy. That's as much as seven Boeing 737-800s, or 30% more than the biggest 747 model. It's the only airplane flying today with a full length upper deck. It can carry up to 600 gallons of water, feeding the onboard showers as well as the standard bathrooms and galleys. Its maximum fuel capacity is over 85,000 gallons or about the same as 5,300 Toyota Camrys. But in one aspect, the 747 Jumbo Jet has it beat. It's still the longest passenger airplane in the world, at 250 feet versus 238. But the A380 is very tall. And what if somebody did want to buy an A380? I would love my own personal one. How much money would you have to shell out to take one home to get the biggest aircraft you can buy today? A new A380 costs almost half a billion dollars. More precisely, according to the list prices published by Airbus, and yes I did check, $445.6 million. But remember, airlines almost never pay full price. Negotiations for commercial jet purchases are long and complex, and discounts are always part of the large orders. In fact, many airlines don't even buy their planes, but lease them. Actually, I once met an interesting guy, he was an Aussie guy in Tokyo of all places, and he used to work leasing the engines on aircraft to various major carriers. This makes complete commercial sense and ensures the aircraft always has well-maintained engines in top condition too. Once the run hours are met, they're changed out for the next one in line. 
So quite often you might go on the same aircraft, but very rarely the same engine. Seat counts range dramatically among airlines that operate it, ranging from as low as 379 seats on some Singapore configurations, hence the extra legroom which is much better, to 615 on the high density layout that Emirates flies on some routes, though 615 seats are the undisputed world record for the most people ever on a passenger flight. Actually, interesting story. The record for the most people ever on a commercial flight belongs to El Al during a 1991 rescue operation carrying Ethiopian Jews to Israel. On the 24th of May, a cargo 747 was crammed with more than 1,000 people. This was during Operation Solomon. 1,086 people boarded the 747 in Addis Ababa. When they landed in Jerusalem, there were 1,088 passengers. Where did these extra two come from, you may ask? Two babies were born during the flight. Israel actually ended up airlifting about 14,500 Ethiopian Jews on 40 different flights with 28 aircraft in the air at one time. El Al, the Israeli national airline, used Boeing 747s and 757 aircraft, the largest in their fleet at the time, to transport the Ethiopians who sat two or three to a single seat. There are some incredible photos taken on board some of these aircraft. You can find them online with a simple Google search. Anyway, meanwhile, back on the A380. And if you want to take a shower in flight and you don't own a very large private jet, your only choice is the A380 and flying first class on Emirates or Etihad. And what if you want your personal butler on a plane? Only the A380 offers that to passengers have a lot of money. Or a savvy strategy to use their rewards points in the ultra first class known as the Residence aboard Etihad. I've actually been lucky enough to fly first class on Emirates and it was pretty cool. On the other hand, to experience the famous onboard bar on Emirates, you just need a ticket in business or first class, or a lucky upgrade if you're me. We talk a lot about long flights, but what about the shortest flight on an A380? This is a flight I use regularly. It's less than one hour, it's actually about 25 minutes in the air, from Dubai to Muscat in Oman. This is also Emirates. Now Boeings have the traditional yokes, but Airbus has dispensed with those since the 1980s, when it introduced the A320, the first airliner using fly-by-wire. What do I mean by yokes? That means pilots send their inputs to a computer, which then moves the plane's control surfaces. On Airbuses, rather than using the old-fashioned yoke, they do this using joysticks, or side sticks as pilots prefer to call them. Now we're getting into the real aircraft geeky stuff. The A380 is equipped with four 70,000 pound thrust engines, either the Rolls-Royce Trent 900 or the General Electric Pratt & Whitney Engine Alliance GP7200. Now Rolls-Royce delivered the first Trent 900 engines in February 2004, and it made a successful first flight on an A340-300 testbed in May 2004. I told you it was going to get geeky. Goodrich supplies the engine sensor system for the Rolls-Royce Trent 900 and Emetec the sensor system for the Engine Alliance GP7200. BAA, British Aerospace, supplies system controls and Hispano Sousa provides the FADEC. That's full authority digital electronic control and that's the system for the GP7200. There are 10 fuel tanks as I said and they have a capacity of 320,000 litres of fuel. Go on, I'll, I'll do it the European way this for once and refueling takes only 40 minutes. The 22-wheel Goodrich landing gear consists of two underwing struts, each with four wheels, two central under fuselage struts, each with six wheels, and a twin nose wheel. Each landing gear supports about 167 tonnes. Messier Doughty supplies the nose landing gear with 350 bar hydraulic pressure, and Messier Bugatti the braking and steering systems. 
Smith's Aerospace supplies the landing gear extension and retraction system. The load on the airport runways and aprons are of a similar magnitude to that of the 747 jumbo jet. LDEC of Linwood, Washington provides the landing gear proximity sensing system. Now that sounds like a lot of companies providing a lot of equipment, but that's what you have to understand. Aircraft don't just support the carrier, they support other businesses, which in turn support everybody else. Back to the A380 though, the takeoff length for the Airbus A380-800 is 2,900 metres at maximum weight and at sea level, and the initial cruise altitude is 35,000 feet. The aircraft complies with the noise emission limits of ICAO Chapter 3 Schedule 16 for overflying approach and side-on manoeuvres including stricter regulations of London Heathrow Airport concerning takeoff and landing. This enables aircraft operations at night. The aircraft can complete a 180 degree turn within a width of 56.5 metres, which is within the 60 metre width dimension of standard runways. The maximum operating speed is Mach 0.89, that's 0.89 times the speed of sound. And the range is 8,000 nautical miles, or for those of you still in the EU, 15,000 kilometres. And that's with the maximum number of passengers. The turnaround time at the airport terminal, including passenger disembarkation, cleaning, restocking, and embarking the next set of passengers for the next flight, is a minimum of 90 minutes. More on passenger loading later though. But I love the A380, as you can probably tell. It just lumbers along the runway and heaves itself into the air with a seemingly effortless leap. You always feel as though it's not really going quite fast enough too. Always a smooth flight, and landing is just so graceful. Each Emirates A380 flight has 24 cabin crew and two cabin service assistants working aboard, plus the mandatory two pilots. But if you were to step below decks, you'll find the secret crew rest area of the Airbus A380. There are eight bunks beneath the lower deck of economy, with handles and small steps to assist the crew in what is not dissimilar to a Japanese capsule hotel. Talking of huge aircraft, there's the Airbus A300-600ST, the super transporter, or Beluga as it's known. It's a version of the standard A300-600 widebody airliner modified to carry aircraft parts and outsized cargo. It received the official name of super transporter early on, however the name Beluga, a whale which it resembles, gained popularity and has since been officially adopted. The Beluga XL, based on the Airbus A330, with similar modifications and dimensions was developed by Airbus to replace the type in January of 2020. Although, while we're talking of big aircraft, the granddaddy of all of these still remains the Antonov AN225 Milia, which actually means dream or inspiration in Russian. I've actually seen one of these and they are unbelievably big and even better in the air. The Antonov AN-225 was designed to lift the Energia's rocket boosters and the Buran-class orbiters for the Soviet space program. It was developed as a replacement for the, and here we go, Mr. Shishchev VMT. This aircraft type's first flight in commercial service departed from Stuttgart, Germany on the 3rd of January 2002 and flew to Tumrite in Oman, very close to where I am and it was carrying 216,000 prepared meals for American military personnel based in the region. This vast number of ready meals was transported on 375 pallets and weighed 187.5 tonnes. Tom Wright is actually a place I've driven through many a time and also proves my small world theory, as I actually met a guy from Middlesbrough, quite close to my hometown, right there in Tom Wright. Anyway, I digress yet again. The AN-225 has since become the workhorse of the Antonov Airlines fleet, transporting objects once thought impossible to move by air, such as 150-tonne generators. It has become an asset to international relief organisations for its ability to quickly transport huge quantities of emergency supplies during disaster relief operations. 
On the 11th of June 2010, an AN-225 carried the world's longest piece of air cargo to 138 feet meters, test wind turbine blades from Tianjin, China to Skistrup, Denmark. Quick facts and figures about the AN-225 crew, only six, it's a cargo plane. Length 84 meters, 275 feet. Wingspan 290 feet, 88.4 meters. Height 59 feet, 5 inches, that's 18.1 meters. Wing area 9,740 square feet. The empty weight is 628,317 pounds. But the maximum takeoff weight is 1,410,958 pounds. And both of those weights, for those of you still in the EU, is very heavy. Anyway, enough of this rubbish now. Let's continue on with some airlines. I think that's enough geeky facts and figures for now. Cue Dave Allen. If, if in the, un have you heard, if in the unlikely event of us having to put down on water, there's a double doubt there, isn't it? If, unlikely, put the two, if unlikely, Put down on water. Put down. Put down. Leaves put down. Thistle down puts down. Feathers put down. Jumbo jets, have you seen one? It's as big as this theater for Christ's sake. If I took this theater up to 35,000 feet and dropped it, it would not put down. It would bury itself in the bloody ground. That's what it do. Smooth as silk means many things when you fly tie. It means a smile that comes from the heart, not from the handbook. A fresh orchid for every lady passenger. A beautifully prepared meal served by a delicious hostess. And free drinks whenever the mood takes you. Plus, all the comforts of flying with a broad-minded airline on our wide-body DC-10s or A300s. Smooth as silk also means a route network that covers more countries in the Orient than any other airline, as well as Australia and seven major cities in Europe. Now that you know what smooth as silk means, wouldn't you like to experience it firsthand? And that was definitely a little bit of a creepy advert for Thai Airways from the 80s. Okay, let's talk about Thai Airways, shall we? Thai Airways is the flag carrier airline of Thailand, formed in 1988. Thai Airways is also a founding member of the Star Alliance. Including its subsidiaries, Thai Airways flies to 84 destinations in 37 countries, using a fleet of over 90 aircraft. The company's slogan, Smooth as Silk, is a key brand denominator. The relatively new Sawanapum Airport, easy for you to say if you see the spelling, it's located outside of Bangkok, and I've travelled through there numerous times having worked in Thailand. The name Sawanapum means the golden land. It actually looks like Sawanabumi if you read the spelling, but it is actually pronounced Suwanapum. The meaning golden land is specifically referring to the continental Indochina, golden peninsula or golden land, and that's the traditional name for the Thailand, Cambodia, Laos, Burma region. Suwanapum Airport inherited its IATA airport code BKK from Bangkok Don Myong International Airport, again easy for you to say. In the interim period, while both airports were operating, from September the 15th to September the 28th, Suwanapum used the code NBK 
Donhuang International Airport's new code is DMK. Apologies if throughout this I have actually been using IATA airport codes, but I have them all ingrained in deep suppositories of my brain and somehow seem to know most of them. In fact, another acronym, International Air Transport Association, is IATA, in case you were wondering. Sadly, I do live in a world of TLAs. Three letter acronyms. As you know, I love numbers and facts. So here we go for Sawanapum. 130 control checkpoints for arrivals, 72 for departures. 26 custom control checkpoints for arrivals, 8 for departures. 22 baggage conveyor belts, 360 check-in counters. There are also 100 additional counters for passengers without luggage. This is a very busy airport. There are 107 moving walkways, 102 elevators and 83 escalators. The airport is located in Ratchatua in the Bangpli district of Samut Prakan province, 30 kilometers east of Bangkok. Access to the airport is very easy and it's definitely one of the best airports in the region for sure, but do allow plenty of departure time to escape the traffic in Bangkok itself. And also when arriving, don't expect the journey to be very quick once you enter the car park that is Bangkok traffic. The airport itself is very accessible unless you're coming in and out of Bangkok. <laughs> this is also a very, very busy and crowded airport. So make sure you arrange to meet on arrival at an easy place to find whoever you are meeting. I usually use the big numbers on each section of the arrivals concourse to meet drivers or friends. Another top tip for planning, especially in Asia where airports are that little bit more chaotic, or is that little bit more fun. As for Thai Airways, I always found their flights comfortable, great crew, excellent food. I'd always recommend the Thai option on their flights. Actually one tip on all Asian flights that are long haul, if you do fall asleep or miss the meal service, they nearly always have cup noodles available and they can be a good boost for any weary traveller. I also find that the Thai Airways livery, the colours of the uniform of the airline, to be vibrant too and not like some of the more dour offerings. From a uniform perspective you can't really beat the Singapore cabin crew, that's for sure, but some of the aircraft livery itself can be amazing too. By that I don't just mean the uniform of the crew, the uniform of the aircraft. Some of my favourites to watch out for, of course Virgin Atlantic aircraft had the best names and are always finished off with a bomber crew style graphic on the side too. The aptly names Maiden Voyager was their first, but others such as Ruby Tuesday, Lady in Red, Lady Stardust, Daydream Believer and Honky Tonk Woman have a definite British music connection, which is after all where it all started, for Richard Branson and Virgin. Actually, Virgin don't just randomly name these. The aircraft registration code for British aircraft always begins with G and then V for Virgin. The next three letters are random so Virgin always try to match, sometimes a bit tenuously, the registration code to the name. For example, GVSXY is named Beauty Queen, Visexy I guess, GVFIT Fit is Dancing Queen, GVGEM Gem is Diamond Girl, GVINE is Champagne Belle, fine, grape, get it? <laughs> I told you these were tenuous, GVRAY Ray is Miss Sunshine, and my personal favourite GVOOH, it's Miss Chief. You get the idea. Talking of livery though, Qantas, their Boeing 747 Nalanji Dream livery. For over 20 years now, Qantas has honoured the indigenous Australians with special liveries on their aircraft. The airline released the first of five designs in 1994, painting a Boeing 747 in the Wanala Dreaming special livery. A year later, Qantas dedicated another Boeing 747 to celebrate the heritage of Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islanders. This time the airline called the livery Nalanji Dreaming. Nalanji means our place. Some of these are amazing to see 
and sometimes pay attention in airports you'll see them. The Taiwanese airline, EVA, they have the Airbus A320 with Hello Kitty livery. EVA partnered with Sanrio, the Japanese company responsible for Hello Kitty and other characters to create magic liveries. EVA Air launched the first Hello Kitty aircraft in 2005. Complementing the livery, the airline also offers Hello Kitty service. The service provides passengers with more Sanrio characters items such as pillows, cookies, seat covers and special in-flight entertainment. Currently in the air, there are seven aircraft with the Hello Kitty livery. They exclusively fly to Japanese, Southeast Asian and North American destinations. So if you are planning to visit Taiwan after this shit show is over that is COVID-19, try to spot one of these beauties. Better yet, if you get the chance, fly one. What other good liveries have there been? Well, you all know my love for Disney. WestJet, they had a Boeing 737 with Disney Magic livery. So WestJet teamed up with WestJet Vacations and Walt Disney Parks and Resorts to unveil this special livery. The Canadian airline revealed the Boeing 737 aircraft in 2013 with a debut flight from Calgary to Orlando in Florida, Orlando being the home of the Walt Disney World Resort. After its first flight, the 737 began flying all through WestJet's destination network, including flights to and from Orlando. A few fun facts about this special livery. The painters used a total of 36 different colours, and it took them 24 days to paint the aircraft. For some reason, WestJet also pointed out the fact that the crew consumed 150 donuts when they painted the Boeing aircraft. Good news is that the aircraft is included in WestJet's destination network, so it's not just to Orlando, so the chances of seeing one, or flying one, are quite high. Iceland Air, they had a Boeing 757 Heckler Aurora livery. Aurora? Northern Lights. Northern Lights tourism is very popular in the northern countries of Europe. Iceland is specifically known for the natural phenomena that occur when sun's particles hit Earth's magnetic fields. Phenomena. Doop, 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 doop. Phenomena. Doop, 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 doop. Sorry, couldn't resist again. Anyway, Iceland Air launched the Hekla Aurora Vatnajökull liveries to promote tourism in the islands. My Icelandic isn't that good, I think that's what that says. The airline is especially promoting the Icelandic stopover. The Icelandic stopover is a term that travellers popularised in the 1960s, when aircraft still needed to refuel to fly across the Atlantic. They would usually stop in Newfoundland or in Iceland. Together with the breathtaking livery, Iceland Air also decorated the ceiling of the aircraft to mimic the northern lights while in flight. I'd love to fly this one to see it. ANA, all Nippon Airways, they introduced the Pokemon special livery in 1998 on a Boeing 747. From 1998 till 2016, a total of nine aircraft carried the anime livery. ANA painted one more of their 747s in May of 2004, and the All Yellow Queen is one of the favourite of all nine Pokemon aircraft. The Jumbo features such Pokemon as Celebi, Pikachu, Latias, Mudkip, Pichu, and many, many more. I've seen a few of these when I was in Japan, and they are really amazing to see. Another European airline, Brussels Airlines, they did an Airbus A320 in Belgian icons liveries. If you're looking for a way to represent your national identity and take pride in its creative work of your fellow countrymen, your best example is right here. Brussels Airlines has five aircraft painted in liveries dedicated to celebrate various Belgian cultural icons. Rejoicing the Smurfs, the Festival Tomorrowland, the comic hero Tintin, who will definitely feature in an episode soon, I promise, the Belgian artist René Magritte, and the national football team of Belgium. The five Airbus A320 jets simply look fantastic. And the best news is, you can still spot these aircraft all around Europe. However, Brussels Airlines did not plan to keep the Tintin livery past 2020. The airline plans to keep the other four liveries, and they'll stay until 2022-2023, if they ever get flying again. ANA, 
again, also stunned the whole aviation world yet again by releasing a set of gorgeous liveries dedicated to the Star Wars franchise. The airline painted four aircraft to celebrate the wonderful film franchise, R2-D2, two BB-8 designs and a C-3PO design too. Including the four dazzling Boeing jets, the Japanese airline also created a very thorough website dedicated to the whole campaign, which you can check out. The Star Wars themed aircraft fly on various international and domestic routes to and from Japan. These are number one in my opinion, and I've seen the R2-D2 plane. It is epic, although I am probably their target audience. More about the droids you are looking for later in this episode. Another honourable mention goes to Southwest Airlines, that flew the SeaWorld Shamu, the killer whale, livery from 1988 until the advent of the Blackfish documentary about SeaWorld, and that started to change opinions quite significantly, and the relationship ceased in late 2014. Without going into too much of the politics about this, the livery was stunning though, and it was definitely one of a kind for sure. Okay, that's probably enough about paintwork, uniforms, and Thai Airways. Is that where we were? I think so. Let's move on to China. If in the unlikely event of us having to put down on water, you will find your life jacket under your seat. <laughs> and then they show you how to put it on. You place it over your head, you take two ribbons, you circle your body once, tie it in the bow on the left hand side, and they do it. <laughs> You see the Indian Ocean? It's enormous. It's black and nasty and enormous. It's got waves, huge, gigantic waves following each other all around. And you look at your safety card and you have landed in the Indian Ocean. Your captain has managed to find a flat piece. Your plane is flat. All little blue waves all around it, all pretty. <laughs> the yellow slides coming out of the side of the airplane. People going. <laughs> the dinghy with a bell tent. Children say, Mommy, we're going camping in the Indian Ocean. <laughs> you see pictures of the people leaving the airplane. <laughs> an asshole with a briefcase. Was saying, thank you for flying. <laughs> the one thing you never see in all that is little black fins, do you? <laughs> you never look at those pictures and there's little black fins all floating around, do you? If you get on an airplane and you're looking at the safety card and it has black fins on it, I have been there before you. <laughs> That's what I do on airplanes now. I get the safety cards and I draw in little black fins. <laughs> I get a red ink and kind of put a little bits of red in it. <laughs> okay, let's talk Chinese airlines. China Eastern Airlines are probably the best service company among the three major airlines in China. There's Air China, China Eastern and China Southern. But all three, in my view, are definitely at the lower end of the quality spectrum, particularly their domestic service. I've only ever flown inside China with a few of the carriers, and it was always one of the more bizarre experiences, shall we say. On one trip, I flew with Malaysian Airlines from Darwin in Australia to Kuala Lumpur in Malaysia. Actually, more about that soon. And then connected onto Xiamen, and then on again to Qingdao, this time with China Southern. One leg was operated by Xiamen Air, and one leg was China Southern. 
Both domestic China flights definitely had that authentic 80s airline feel. Aging aircraft and dodgy interiors. I was just waiting for someone to light up a cigarette or ten. Fortunately for me, I was in business class, so I avoided the melee that ensued as soon as the wheels touched down. Never mind the aircraft even coming to a stop. Every, I mean every, flight I've had in China always had people standing up at the exit at the very moment the wheels touched the tarmac. Flight crew try in vain to get them to sit down, but it's always futile. I've seen this happen so many times on flights, but it's more prevalent in Asia for sure. This is where it's best to remain calm and collected in your happy travel bubble, particularly in economy, when the window seat passengers are trying to climb over the person in the middle and then you at the aisle, just in case the aircraft takes off again without them being allowed off. I find it very funny to watch the onboard antics of some passengers. Personally, I go out of my way to be extra courteous and hold the mob up to allow less able passengers time to get themselves in order. Older passengers, families, that kind of thing. Now you may ask, Xiamen? Never heard of it before. It's spelled X-I-A-M-E-N, in case you're interested. Well, neither had I until I landed there. Turns out it's a massive port city on China's southeast coast. Across the strait from Taiwan, it encompasses two main islands and a region on the mainland. Formerly known as Amoy, it was a British-run treaty port from 1842 to 1912. Many Europeans and Japanese lived on Golangju, today a vehicle-free island with beaches and meandering streets lined with old colonial villas. It has a population of over 12 million people, and I'd never even heard of it till I arrived there. It was a huge airport too, but when we landed I was first off the plane and headed for my connection through the labyrinth of airport corridors. I recall a young bewildered American student who was very pleased to see a friendly face as she was dumbstruck by the whole airport and the crowded hustle and bustle of the local populace. Travel in China is not for the faint-hearted, that's for sure. It turned out she was from Maryland and was on her first overseas trip to work in China for the summer and she was heading to my destination too, to Qingdao. Follow me, I said, and stay close. We only get one chance at this and we ran the gauntlet through the terminal to our next flight. Safely aboard the next flight, China Southern, an equally old aircraft, but a bit more chintzy than the last one. Hard to describe the decor, but chintz definitely covers it. Paper doilies over the seats and that kind of thing. Although I didn't feel unsafe on the flight, it was definitely a change from the modern carriers and did feel a little bit more unstable, shall we say. Maybe it was just psychological, I don't know. The other joy of boarding first in business class, particularly on China flights, is that I was stared at and inspected by every, and I mean every, passenger that proceeded to board after me. There were no other passengers in my part of the plane, so I did feel like a bit of a zoo exhibition. I arrived in Qingdao. Qingdao is another huge Chinese city you've probably never heard of. Qingdao, Q-I-N-G-D-A-O, also spelled T-S-I-N-G-T-A-O, is that familiar now? Qingdao. It's a major city in eastern Shandong province, located on China's Yellow Sea coast. It's a major nodal city of the One Belt, One Road, OBOR, initiative that connects Asia with Europe. Qingdao has a population of 9 million people and stretches across the Shandong Peninsula and looks out at the Yellow Sea. It borders the prefecture-level cities of Yantai to the northeast, Weifang to the west and Rizhao in the southwest. Qingdao is a major seaport and naval base, as well as a commercial and financial centre. It is home to electronics multinationals such as Haya and Hisense, the world's longest sea bridge, the Jiaozhou Bay Bridge. This links the main urban area of Qingdao with the Hungdao district, straddling the Jiaozhou Bay sea areas. It's also very historic. German-style architecture and the Tsingtao Brewery, the second largest brewery in China, and these are the legacies of the German occupation from 1898 to 1914. My first impression of Qingdao was rather strange. It was very much that it was an early 20th century German architecture for sure. Not at all what I expected. 
And as my travels go, I also met somebody in Qingdao Airport, a Scotsman I knew from my days in South Korea. As I said, as I travel through airports, it's a very, very small world. On another trip, I remember the trip being Darwin to Singapore to Bangkok. A few days work and then off to Kunming, to Qingdao, to Singapore, to Darwin. Kunming, you may ask. Me too. Never heard of it until then. Kunming is a huge Chinese city. It's the capital and largest city of the Yunnan province in the People's Republic of China, also known as Yunnan Fu. Today, it is a prefecture-level city and the political, economic, communications and cultural center of the province. When I say prefecture-level city, it's a city made up of lots of other cities. For example, Tokyo has Chiba, Yokohama, Kawasaki, that kind of thing. The headquarters of many of Yunnan's large businesses are also in Kunming. It was important during World War II as a Chinese military center, American airbase, and transport terminus for the Burma Road. It's located in the middle of the Yunnan Gyuzhou Plateau. Kunming is also located at an altitude of 6,234 feet. That's quite high for those of you still in the EU. As I said, another huge Chinese city with a population of over 11 million people that I'd never heard of. Although I later found out that Qingdao, Kunming, and Xiamen are not even in the top 15 most populated cities in China. As per usual at the Chinese airports, everyone was trying to enter the business class lounge and check in. It's the first time I've seen strict security turning away people by the hundreds from the business lounge. Also as per usual, I get to the luggage conveyor to pick up my bags and I'm first off the plane. I pride myself in moving very swiftly from aircraft to taxi and out of the airport as quickly as possible. My record in Naya, the Manila International Airport, is seven minutes. Off the plane, through customs and out. But that was with carry-on luggage only. So anyway, back to China. I'm standing at the baggage claim alone. One by one, people turn up. And where do they stand in an empty carousel area? All around me, within at least four inches of me. And then the general free-for-all ensues. Sticking in my bubble of happiness though, and this is where it always gets really tested, I just get my bags and get out as fast as possible. Personal space does not exist in China. The Chinese airports always seemed highly militarized with security too, but generally people were helpful and surprisingly welcoming. Although I did get asked if I wanted to buy an iPhone on many occasions in queues for check-in of a security by the uh, local salesman. I wasn't sure Apple was really spelt A-P-P-E-L-L though. But that's China. Actually, an interesting place to visit. Not one of my favorite places, but I had some good fun there. Okay, let's move on. Where should we go next? Oh yes, I mentioned Malaysian Airlines. Let's talk about them quickly. Okay, Malaysian Airlines. I'm always fairly happy when traveling Malaysian. Not the top end carrier, but far from the worst. Always good service, nice cabin crew, and a very decent entertainment system and also the food. Again, their Asian dishes are always the best. I traveled quite a lot with Malaysian Airlines around the time of the MH370 flight going missing in March 2014 and then the subsequent shooting down of MH17 over the Ukraine in July of the same year. And they were really suffering because of this. Passenger confidence was at an all-time low for sure. But Kuala Lumpur International Airport is a great airport and normally a vibrant hub, but talk about feeling like Tom Hanks in the movie Terminal during layovers at this time in near empty concourses. Fortunately, this did pick up in later years, but you had to feel for the airline. Two tragic events so close together. Kuala Lumpur Airport is always a good spot for meeting old friends who are traveling through there too. Yes, I know, but I do always meet somebody I know, no matter how obscure the location. As I mentioned earlier, I flew frequently from Darwin to Kuala Lumpur. It's only a four hour hop across the aptly named Beagle Gulf in the Timor Sea, then over Indonesia, the Java Sea and into Malaysia. Malaysia is also one of my favorite places to visit and I really need to go there more sometime, but maybe that's for another episode. Kuala Lumpur International Airport though is Malaysia's main international airport and one of the biggest airports in Southeast Asia and worldwide. 
It is located in the Sepang district of Selango, approximately 45 kilometers south of Kuala Lumpur city center, and serves the greater Klang Valley conurbation. Sepang, famous for the motor racing track, sadly no longer on the Formula 1 calendar, but I was lucky enough to go and see it there once. Very accessible to both Kuala Lumpur and the airport, but I digress. It's definitely actually talking of Bangkok airport earlier, Kuala Lumpur is much easier to get in and out of. Kuala Lumpur Airport is also one of the older of the Southeast Asia airports, opening in 1998, but that's not really that old. There is always excellent service right from the get-go there. Check-in counter staff are very friendly, the check-in process is always efficient, no dramas, especially over extra weight luggage or carry-on. The signage is always very clear and you have no problems navigating the airport. Some airports could really learn from this. Along the way there are many food and beverage outlets and retail shops just in case you want to grab a quick bite or purchase something. Also, and something I should mention, like all the great airports of the world, they have customer service personnel at strategic locations, offering assistance to travellers who might have questions regarding their journey, or are just lost. Not to mention also the well-maintained washrooms. Oops, I went all Canadian there. Toilets. Kuala Lumpur International Airport do have clean, modern and beautiful facilities. Talking of Canada, they have definitely some of the best greeters and customer service personnel in the world. I visited Calgary in Alberta, they're the best I've come across for sure, very friendly and very welcoming to the country. Anyway, back to Malaysian, as I said, they may not be the top airline for glamour, although the cabin crew are almost as smartly turned out as Singapore Airlines, but I'd always recommend Malaysian Airlines, especially flying through Kuala Lumpur. They are often the cheaper option too, and serve many cities around the world. They have a fleet of over 80 aircraft serving over 60 cities in Europe, Asia, Australia and New Zealand. I don't think they serve the US directly, although don't quote me on that, but they do code share with Qatar Airways to the East Coast and Cathay Pacific for the West Coast. Their Enricher Rewards program is also really good for accumulating air miles and gaining free flights and upgrades relatively easy. I should have mentioned that about Qantas too, as I think both of those carriers, Qantas and Malaysian Airlines, are the very best for rewards. Emirates comes in third, but only because it's so hard to maintain the higher level of reward with them, but the benefits are excellent once you achieve the right status. One final note, for some reason the Malaysian flight always seemed to have that one pilot who regularly seemed to enjoy smacking the runway at Darwin as hard as possible on landing, every time. I don't know if it was because Darwin had a short runway, but he did like to bounce that plane into Darwin. Anyway, <laughs> let's move on. And for your added safety, while you're in the Indian Ocean, they give you a whistle. <laughs> in the Indian Ocean? Miles of nothing. Huge waves. <laughs> Rescue plane, 40,000 feet. Okay, this is getting quite a long episode already, so let's talk more quickly about a few other noteworthy carriers. Let's start with Philippine Airlines, my home airline now, well at least it was when I last got there, and they've come a long way in the last few years. New aircraft and direct flights to New York, I mentioned that earlier on the A350, but you head there via the Pacific, and return via the Atlantic. It's a true round the world experience and relatively good value as well. Check them out if you want to travel to the Philippines to come and see me and go midget boxing, that's who you need to fly with. I could talk about my adventures through Naya, Ninoy Aquino International Airport, at great length. Oh, and there's also a Congress bill in process to change it to Paliparang Pandagig Ang Pilipinas. 
This may not roll off the tongue to foreign visitors, but it does mean Philippine International Airport, and the change is explained by the fact that Naya is the international gateway of the Philippines, being the biggest and largest international airport in the country, and as such, there is a need to identify the same as belonging to the Philippines. I've travelled countless times with Philippine Airlines, and they may seem to be more basic than some, but the new aircraft and the service is always great. Another cheaper airline too, and as with Malaysian, it may not win a top airline award, but it's certainly worth considering for the budget-conscious traveller. I do remember once having flown from London to the Middle East, and then on to Manila, quite a feat in itself. I had a week at home in Manila, then off to New Zealand for a friend's wedding. This is the life of the global citizen, I guess. But in my ignorance, I assumed our flight from Manila to Auckland in New Zealand would be a shortish hop, and after the previous week's travel, I was ready for some downtime. Wrong! I hadn't checked the flight times. It was 11 hours! For once, I was actually surprised, and had to laugh at my amateur preparation for the flight. It was actually at a time when I was flying that much, I think I started to get blasé about the whole process. Talk about a flight to the end of the world though, but it was completely worth it. New Zealand is up there for Canada, for one of the most welcoming places I've ever visited. Let's talk about New Zealand quickly. We had a short stay in Auckland, and then flew on to the South Island and the town of Nelson. This was a twin-prop Jetstar plane, and it crossed some amazing scenery on the short hop. Volcanic, green, lush and rugged landscapes unfolded before us. Beautiful. Definitely more on New Zealand another day, maybe. Talking of flights, as I mentioned earlier, I should give a mention here to the Freehouse Pub in Nelson, another one of those quirky places you find around the world, with an emphasis on quality beer and a friendly, welcoming atmosphere, both inside and out. Excellent stuff, too. This little treasure has such a welcoming atmosphere that you immediately feel at home. The staff are friendly and very knowledgeable about an outstanding selection of beer. Mostly locally brewed, and the hops growing in the corner are a particularly nice touch. Plenty of board games available, and even a piano should the mood take you. It's a great place for a couple of craft beers on a sunny day, and it really works if you're a craft beer fan. Lots of taps, plenty of outdoor seating, and some nibbles to share with good friends. The flights of beer were so good, and I seem to remember, very vaguely, I enjoyed them so much I fell in a bush on the way home. <laughs> Video apparently exists of this, allegedly. But the Freehouse Pub is highly recommended if you happen to be in Nelson, in the north of New Zealand's South Island, or Te Wanapunamu for its Maori name. They are beautiful names, just roll off the tongue. Nelson, Maori Wakatu, is a city on the eastern shores of the Tasman Bay, Te Taio Aurere, named after Horatio himself. Nelson is the oldest city in the South Island and the second oldest city in New Zealand. It was established in 1841 and became a city by royal charter in 1858. However, I'll stop there because I think New Zealand could feature in an episode very soon. Let's quickly go through a few more. Korean Airlines. I remember boarding a Korean Airlines and I'd picked the worst seat in the world. Well, I'd not picked it, I was just too late to check in. I'd been so busy at work, grafting, you know. And I'd ended up with the dreaded 46E seat, which is in the middle and the back row of the plane. Fortunately for me, I had the magic beep 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 when trying to board, and I got upgraded from the worst seat in the world to the best seat in the world in business class. And I remember boarding the plane, and the crew are so courteous on the flights, this is the same on trains in Korea as well. The crew bow to all the passengers at introduction on the flight. It's a small token of customer respect that, in my view, actually works both ways. It makes the customer feel wanted, but it also adds respect for the crew, and especially one of the flights I was flying in 2012, and it was just after the Olympics in London, and the Paralympic Games was about to start. The Korean Paralympic team were on my flight, 
And in my ignorance, I think I talked about this on a previous episode, but in my ignorance I thought, oh no, this is going to be a disaster. How can this Paralympic team be catered for on such a small aircraft? But in typical Korean efficiency, it was a dream flight. The crew just handled the whole flight so well. Korean airlines have some highly trained people. Although in Seoul Airport, I remember, and I'm sure I've mentioned this on a podcast before, but I was at the bar. And in front of me, there was a German guy. I knew he was German because he was speaking German. He ordered a beer. The Korean server promptly gave me his beers. I said, but no, they're his beers. Oh, you Westerners, you all look the same, she said. And moving swiftly on from that, Virgin Atlantic, I mentioned their livery. And back in the day, they were an amazing airline. The red outfits of the cabin crew instantly recognisable all over the world. I actually recall getting recognised on transatlantic flights in the early 2000s. Uh, due to excessive Florida trips I was having at the time. But also the new Virgin Australia has definitely maintained their high standards. British Airways, I didn't mention British Airways much. I've actually not flown with them very often, although I can honestly say the only time I ever seem to lose luggage is at Heathrow Airport. I remember a few years ago I lost my Star Wars luggage, or should I say, the airport had lost my Star Wars luggage, and I was asked to give a clear description of my suitcase, to which I wrote down a very accurate description of my suitcase. The lady behind the counter said, but sir, we need more information than that. Trust me, it looks like R2-D2. A short phone call later, we found your luggage, sir. It does indeed look like R2-D2. Unfortunately, it's in Amsterdam. Oh, right, thanks. Send it to me tomorrow. Fortunately, Arturito, as my travelling companion was known, he was returned to me safely on a taxi the next day. Air France, I think I've flown them only once, and that was transatlantic from Charles de Gaulle which is, ugh, the world's largest bus stop and the land that time forgot that is Terminal 1 there. I do not recommend flying through Charles de Gaulle if you can avoid it, do it at all costs. But I once flew Air France and it was quite a nice flight. I can't recall the aircraft, but I remember the cabin crew and I think the steward actually fancied me to be fair. We were on the transatlantic flight heading for New York. He came to me and says, ah, would sir like a little drink to go with his lunch? Oh, sir would like something please. What do you have? Uh, what does sir like? Sir would like a bottle of Beaujolais if you have it. Oh, mon dieu, sir. Beaujolais, c'est parfait. The French like their Beaujolais. Okay, I accepted the Beaujolais wine. Probably drank it. He comes past me again. Would monsieur like another little Beaujolais? Monsieur would. Hand it over. He gave me another Beaujolais. Ten minutes later, monsieur, un peu Beaujolais? Yes, monsieur would definitely like one more Beaujolais. However, for the fourth time, would Monsieur like a Beaujolais? If Monsieur has one more Beaujolais, he will not be getting into America. I will have a cognac though. <laughs> I did get into America, just in case you're wondering. Talking of American airports, I always find American airports quite the same wherever I go. The standard for drinks, food, watch sports, but it ticks all of my boxes. They're very functional airports. There always seems to be a Buffalo Wild Wings or a, a Chili's or a very simple American sports bar. Just what I need in an airport. Although traveling through San Francisco, TSA, the Travel Security Agency, I think it stands for. Anyway, I'll look that up, or you look it up for me. Security in America is actually very, very well organised now. Very efficient, but very, very thorough. So always plan your journey times accordingly. But in San Francisco, I had the advantage of being Filipino. Yes, I can't pass for being Filipino. Going through security, the lady on TSA was Filipina. Ah, magandang omaga, I said. Good morning in Tagalog. Ah, Filipino, priority lane, sir. Thank you, don't mind if I do. The same for US Airlines though, they're very basic, almost like a bus service. 
Not recommended for long haul, but a great choice for hopping around the USA. Probably, as I said previously, my favourite based on experience is Southwest Airlines. Always seem to be punctual, less likely to be overbooked and pleasant flight crew, with great customer service too. Why other airlines don't realise that is what we all want, I will never know. It has the best value too, free bags, excellent flight crew and the seats are comfortable. Southwest's bags fly free policy, which includes up to two checked bags in all fares, is a big hit, especially for travellers like me who are there for a longer duration. Let's talk about Southwest briefly. The airline was established on March the 15th, 1967 by Herb Kelleher as Air Southwest Company and adopted its current name Southwest Airlines Company in 1971, almost as old as me, when it began operating as an intrastate airline wholly within the state of Texas, firstly flying between Dallas, Houston and San Antonio. Now the airline has nearly 60,000 employees and operates about 4,000 departures a day during peak travel season. As of 2018, Southwest carried the most domestic passengers of any United States airline. The airline has scheduled service to 103 destinations in the United States and 10 additional countries. In late 2020, Southwest began announcing a series of expansions to several new airports, such as Palm Springs International Airport and the return to several previously exited airports, such as the well-known Jackson Medgar Wiley Evers International Airport. JetBlue, Hawaiian and Alaskan Airways also rate highly among the US domestic carriers. I've had limited JetBlue experience and they're generally a good option, never had any dramas. Although personally I do prefer Southwest. I've yet to travel Hawaiian and Alaskan though, although they're two on the list for sure. Talking of small airports, some of the smallest airports I've been to in the world. Koh Samui in Thailand, the island airport, such a beautiful airport. Very small, but you feel like you're on holiday instantly. Another one in Kamigin in the Philippines. You land and you're out in three seconds. Tiny airport. I also recall back in the 80s in the old Yugoslavia, we landed in what was best described as a shed for an airport and you had to collect your own luggage on the tarmac from the plane. In Bohol, also in the Philippines, we were welcomed by a blind band playing tunes as we disembarked. And talking of Asian airlines, the best budget airlines such as Cebu Pacific, Tiger, Jetstar, AirAsia, Scoot, Silk Air, they're all perfect for hopping around Asia and you can get some fantastic deals. The other thing I love about travelling, especially in airports and on flights, is the people you meet. I think I spoke before about the time I got drunk with a rabbi at 40,000 feet, the marines I met in Washington heading to Afghanistan. There was also a guy I recall in Orlando airport, I'd sat for a beer, he sat next to me. He'd just finished three months in an emergency trauma ward and he was now drinking as many top shelf margaritas as he could to forget his worries and it seemed to be doing the trick. I've met jockeys in Dubai, I once met a famous Indian on a flight to New York in the business class bar, but I've no idea who he was, but he seemed a decent chap. The other people you also meet, I remember flying just after Christmas to Manila, and all the people in business class seem to be made up of people who just work Christmas. It's probably the drunkest cabin I've ever been in. Before takeoff, all the cabin were singing, drinking whiskies, and generally getting in the festive mood. Talking of singing, I remember flying to India, and I was sat next to a couple. I assume they were married, but the lady sat next to me, she put on her headphones and started watching a Bollywood movie. No problem with that, until she started singing along. That was soon stopped. Anyway, let's move on and talk about a few tips in airports. You know, the one thing I've always, always you hear about, but any sort of mishap with airplanes, the one thing that they always find, the only thing to get back is the flight recorder, don't they? The black box. They all 
always get the black box back. It's waterproof, bombproof, fireproof. It is totally indestructible. Now why don't they put wings on it and let us fly it? Okay, I hope you're still with me. I think we're over the hour and a half mark now. But now for some airport and travel tips. And all about choosing your seat carefully too. Traversing the globe, it's a globe and not flat before you start. Now there's an entire episode in the offing on that and other conspiracy theories. But traversing the globe is easy, but only as easy as you make it. A few tips to make that journey that little bit simpler. Number one, and almost most important of all, remember, flight crew are people too. Always remember that. I don't expect bowing and scraping from the staff, and it's great to get on with them during the flight. Also, if they ask you to help them, move a seat or rearrange your stowed luggage, always try and help out, it often pays off. You can always get moved to a better seat, or even upgraded. I was on one flight in the Middle East, and there's a guy, who was probably from the Indian subcontinent, had his phone out, taking pictures of the cabin crew's ass. That's the best way to describe what he was doing. In which I probably says, Oi, no, stop. I was well looked after in the flight after that. Fantastic. On another longer haul flight, I remember the guy who just kept snapping his fingers and shouting, Whiskey! Whiskey! More whiskey! To the cabin crew. And again, after four or five times, I had to lean over and say, You need to stop doing that. It's very, very annoying. And just give him one of my sternest Paddington Bear looks. He stopped. To which I was rewarded with some drinks and very good service for the rest of the flight. And I even got a thank you from the cabin crew. Just remember, in short... Don't be a dick on flights. The same applies to security and immigration. Be organised, be polite, and you will whiz through. Be disorganised, be a dick, and you will not whiz through. In fact, you might end up with a rubber glove somewhere you don't want it. The same at airports though. Just get into your bubble and don't let anything get to you. I often see people arguing about the most trivial of things in airports or on aircraft. The journey is much sweeter if your mood is the same. What else is a good tip? Oh yes. Don't pack unnecessary items and always declare what you have, particularly in Australia and New Zealand. If you've seen those border control TV shows, that's very real. You think these shows are extreme? They are definitely not, they are the norm. It never ceases to amaze me the things people try to get through the security scans or don't declare at customs. When I was in Darwin, we'd fly in from Asia and some of the things that were pulled out of suitcases, various plants, drinks, meats, all sorts of things that people seem to think they could bring into Australia. You can't. Another top tip, and it's a very simple one. Always pack spare underwear in your carry-on. But also put an extra t-shirt in there as well. Because invariably, well I always do it, I spill food or red wine all over myself when I'm on a flight. Another recommendation, and this is more of a modern approach. Flight socks. Wear those for longer journeys. They aren't a fashion accessory and nobody cares what you look like on flights. Trust me, I've flown in pyjamas many a time. But if you want to prevent DVT, put your flight socks on. I started doing it a couple of years ago and genuinely feel better for it. Again, maybe it's psychosomatic, but it seems to work for me. How about your seat? Whether you're a window or an aisle person, personally, I prefer the aisle. It's worth checking out the Seat Guru website. They have detailed maps to confirm your chosen place on the plane won't be too close to the galley or the toilets and their associated noises and smells. As I said, I prefer an aisle when economy, as there's nothing worse than disturbing others who are invariably comatose for the whole flight and don't get up, eat or even move for 8 hours. Also it's handy for a sharp exit off the plane. Although, as I said earlier, and this is another tip, 
please wait until the aircraft stops before standing. You really cannot get off the plane any quicker. Same with waiting for the doors to open to get off the plane. I generally sit and let the chaos of debarking, yes that's a word, debarking means getting off the plane, I just let it go on around me. Then I stand up, pick up my stored luggage and calmly exit when it's my turn. I've had aircraft generally take 10 to 15 minutes to open the doors or even half an hour or an hour. Immediately standing up in a cramped space with various other combatants swinging their stored luggage around is best avoided. Again, stay in your bubble, let them get on with it. Be organised. Get a really good carry-on luggage. And also get good check-in luggage too. I've headed towards the rollerboard soft small case lately as humping a rucksack jam-packed with the amount of electronics I have and the occasional two or three or four, depending upon destination, Hong Kong, bottles of duty-free whiskey can become a bit arduous. A good roll-on is highly recommended. I do have a trusty rucksack too, but that's dependent on where I'm going and layover duration too. I like to wander about airports, half the time just as a spectator sport. There's so much craziness to observe and always good fun when you're in a happy bubble, so get good luggage to wander around with. Do not get cheap luggage. Carry on or stored. You'll thank me for that advice for sure. I love a large suitcase that can be pushed along with one finger and still controlled. That's the thing to test in the store before you buy. Also, make sure your luggage is easily recognisable. As I said, I had missing luggage at Heathrow and had to describe it. A simple, it looks like R2-D2 can save hours when trying to locate your missing luggage. Ah, Arturito, I do miss him. He was my trusty steed for many years and only recently replaced. Talking of your carry-on luggage, always make sure that's in order too, so you can locate any item you need. Phone, check. Laptop, check. Tablet, check. Camera, check. Spare charger, check. Power cords, check. Breath freshening mints, check. Travellers are carrying more electronics than ever. Luckily there are organisers galore to keep all your devices and cables within reach and ready for security screening and easy access on the flight. I have spares of everything. Things like the little rubber bits that go on the end of your earbuds. You're guaranteed to lose one of those at some point. Also get a good power bank. Again, it does not pay to go cheap on these. One with at least two USB ports and at least 10,000 milliamp hours, which will allow you to charge your smartphone about two times and still fit in your pocket. I actually have one that's 20,000 milliamp hours and can probably power a small African town. Before you take your seat on the plane too, I'd recommend getting a few bits and pieces organized. A pen, you can have that landing card, your iPad, your headphones, a magazine, a book, whatever you'd like to hand when you take off, but something that can fit neatly into the back of the seat in front of you. Always fill in your landing cards early and while your compass mentors, never do it later on or when you're drunk. Another tip actually about landing cards, if you're a frequent visitor to a country, as I am with the Philippines, always pick up a handful of landing cards on your first trip so you have them in hand ready for the next one and you don't have to scramble around at immigration every time when they might be missing. And another top tip for all you drinkers out there, if you are drinking, always remember to drink water too. Keep hydrated kids. But don't be a menace with the crew call button. But don't be afraid to ask a passing crew member if you fancy a few extra drinks or even something to eat. They will always help you. Just don't go pressing the button all the time or clicking your fingers like some people do. Maybe even strike up a conversation and pleasantries. Please and thank you go a long way on some flights. It's often forgotten on many flights. And this helps you secure a decent supply of alcohol throughout. I remember on the flight to New York, I'd been fairly pleasant to the cabin crew. We'd got on quite well. We'd chop the shit a bit at the bar and I was woken up from my slumber rather pleasantly as I'd requested with a nice Bloody Mary, which I didn't request, but I gladly took. Talking of which, alcohol wise, always check if your credit card gives you lounge access too. Often a good way of some free food and beers. 
many credit card companies do offer free access to certain business lounges around the world. American Express is a good example. Although talking of business lounges, even if you don't have access for it, if you have a longer layover of three or four hours or more, the lounges are often worth paying to access. Some of the lounges I go to in the Middle East are about $30 to access, but that's often the price of two or three beers. There are bargains to be found at most lounges. Just go ask the receptionist. Show your credit cards too, just in case. As I said, Amex, I got my Priority Pass card with them, although I generally have lounge access anyway. When I don't, this comes in handy, and it gives you a reduced cost. And as I say, the price of two or three beers can get you into the lounge for free food and a lot more beers. I don't even need to carry my Priority Card. They're normally happy with a picture of it, which is another top tip. Photograph and email yourself your documents, passport, ID card, flight ticket, frequent flyer card, lounge card, anything you think of, even my birth certificate. A scan of that came in handy once. Always handy to have these at hand. Many places will accept a picture of your ID. Not your passport though, don't be stupid. But if you lost your passport, always have a copy of it. Always carry some candies or gum too, just in case. But a handy toothbrush is a must. You don't want stinky breath on an aircraft. Other tips, always check in online and pre-book your seat. You don't want the dreaded 46E, as I spoke about earlier. Although occasionally, I would book the very back seat on some airlines where the aircraft has two seats together. In my experience, these are often left empty or occupied with a like-minded traveler who fancies a few beers and peace and quiet away from the families at the front. As I've also said previously, remember to travel comfortably. This is not a fashion show. Even if you're in business or first class, nobody cares what you're dressed like. Unless you're wearing the mankini, of course. But that's another story for another day. But even on the next generation jets that I spoke about earlier, like the Boeing 787 Dreamliner, the Airbus A350, the cabin humidity levels still only rarely top 20% and are only around 8-10% to on conventional aircraft. To avoid looking like a prune after your flight, pack a light moisturiser and apply it frequently. Again, I know you could be a man if you're listening to this, it doesn't matter, nobody cares. Moisturise, you will thank me for it. Queuing. Remember, the majority of people who queue are righties and will pick the line on the right. Don't ask me why the brain works like this, it's just how it is according to research. So if you see a queue that splits, always go left because most people will go right. Some airports also have hidden security lines away from the rest, often faster than all the rest. So as a rule of thumb, you should take the line on the left. Taking the left line is also the right choice because it's usually the closest to the business and first class one. Being on average less busy, the agents responsible for these lines sometimes let people on economy check in with them to save time. Of course, if the business line is on the right, I'd recommend sticking to the closest line on the right and forget everything I've just said. Also, if you go to a country with nationals and foreigners lines, and the foreigner line is stretching to the moon and back, you could always plead ignorance in the faster moving nationals line. Just ask anywhere. This has worked many times for me. In Thailand, the Philippines, where I just joined the nationals line and they don't mind, they'll let you in anywhere. And if you're feeling ultra confident, something apparently I have no problem with, just go to the fast track business or first class immigration lines. They rarely check in my experience, but don't risk the crew or diplomatic line because you will not gain through those. But always choose a queue nearer to these lines. Again, as I say, sometimes you'll get moved over and through quicker. More top tips. Two things you should always carry. A safety pin and a good quality band-aid. Always. They've come in handy so many times. Okay, I talked about boarding. How about this? Boarding, the science of it. Now, prior to 2007, Southwest Airlines boarded passengers by grouping the passengers into three groups, labelled A, B and C. Passengers would line up their specified letter and board. In 2007, 
Southwest modified its boarding procedure by introducing a number. Each passenger receives a letter, A, B or C, and a number, 1 through 60. I experienced this recently. Passengers line up in numerical order within each letter group and choose any open seat on the aircraft. And according to a 2012 study by Mythbusters, this is the fastest method currently in use for non-first class passengers to board a plane. On average, it is 10 minutes faster than the standard method used by most airlines, where they board from the back frontward. Although I'm not sure that would ever work in China. <laughs> With respect to boarding, don't overcrowd the crew either, just be patient and wait your turn. Or and listen to announcements for boarding, just in case the upgrade gods are smiling on you again. Boarding is where your happiness bubble needs to be at its most robust. There are occasions way too numerous to mention, when for example a passenger with seat 14k turns up at 34a wondering where to sit. Just be patient with these people. Well I think we've covered quite a lot there, and I think it'll be time for me to board again hopefully very soon. Let's see where we end up on the next podcast. I have a few ideas, but you'll have to wait and tune in again next time. How about a quick airline joke and a quote? I was on Thai Airways heading to Bangkok once, and the flight attendant was doing the safety announcement. In the event of an emergency, please put your head between your knees. And a voice at the back of the plane shouted, If I could do that, I wouldn't be flying to Thailand. <laughs> I like that one. Actually, before I leave, I realised after the last show that it was over one year since Podcast 42 began, and I forgot to mention it. So happy belated birthday, Podcast 42. And if you've been listening since the beginning, thank you for taking the time to do so. And if you've made it this far in this episode, well done. Don't forget to subscribe to Criscuit, the YouTube channel, C-H-R-I-S-C-U-I-T. The road to 200 subscribers is underway. If you type Criscuit into Google now, the YouTube channel is the number one returned result. Podcast 42 is also up there in the search results too, so spread the word. Okay, this is a long episode. Let's have one final quote. A very famous quote, and also a very old one. When once you have tasted flight, you will forever walk the earth with your eyes turned skyward. For there you have been, and there you will always long to return. Leonardo da Vinci. See you next time. I wasn't flying to no Borneo, and I was there. The same with Mexico, Latin America, and anywhere else you guys want to hustle me into. BA life's roads have many twists. Well, I'm getting tired of all these tricks you guys keep playing on me. I ain't going to no airport, Hannibal. I ain't going to fly with that crazy fool, Murdoch. We're not going to the airport, BA. Isn't Murdoch kind of crazy? If he's flying, then we're dying. Turn right, right up there. What you doing, sucker? Uh, I think I'll get out for a minute. What's going on here? This road leads directly to the airport, Hannibal. This road is nowhere near the airport. What's going on? Will somebody please tell me what's going on? You lied to me. Lied? Me?
I told you what I was going to do to you next time you try to take one airplane, didn't I? Please, what is going on? I'll be A. You're going to have one of your anxiety blackouts. And... Now, now, take it easy, B.A. Take it easy. Why'd he hit you? Hit me? If he hit me, I'd be in the hospital. If that's murder, I'm not getting in the air with that crazy sucker. Yeah, you really, really have to lighten up on this paranoia you have about flying. Swallow. What are these? I don't take no pills. Well, they're for air sickness. They're not prescription, they're off the shelf. Just a precaution. You better not be trying to drug me, Hannibal. Now, why would I try to drug you when you've already agreed to fly? What you talking about, man? Uh, well, uh, you know, uh, you're, uh... Scared. The word is scared. Scared. You scared to fly. Huh, me? Scared of flying? That's just a night I put on sometime. I ain't afraid of nothing. I ain't eating none of your food, Hannibal. Knock me out and drag me on some helicopter. B.A., you are getting crazy. I am, huh? You got something to say? Guess the food didn't agree with him. You know I don't fly. And I've seen this trick before. You give me a burger and expect me to eat it. B.A., you know you get cranky on an empty stomach. Now eat your burger. Not this time. I ain't falling for no sleeping powder in my burger. I'm taking yours. Help yourself. It's fine. You figured I would think my burger was spiked and take yours. I'm taking faces. Oh, okay. <laughs> Wait a minute. I got it. You figured I'd take your burger, get wise to it, then take Face Burger. And Face's Burger is the one that got the sleeping powder in it. Or Murdoch's. Hey, wait a minute. I'm hip to you guys. The one place you would never put sleeping powder, and that's in the first burger you gave me. I know. <laughs> and he was doing so well.